I'm very happy to be very here. Very Duncan, 87 years old. And I have my problems with some part of our scientific community. It's called Ancient Guardians our, of the Sky, some of us part one. Are brilliant personalities, but uh, they are still looking for life in the universe. They are seeking for molecules and, and microscopic forms of life in meteorites. Wonderful, why not? But why do they not accept that extraterrestrials were here thousands of years ago? Yeah. They are looking at... Yeah. Obviously, they don't have the courage uh -huh. to say, yes, we were visited. We have enough indications, enough proof, clearly, to make the statement they were here. There is no doubt. In my speech today, I will come to a few personalities of the past who were in contact with extraterrestrials. Tomorrow, I have another speech where I show you some uh, clear proof of extraterrestrials on this planet Earth, different old cultures, etc. So, life out there. Why do we have problems to accept life? Life, ex uh, intelligent life out there. Because we are too arrogant, we are too stubborn. We think we are the greatest. Only mm -hmm. humans, we are the greatest. We are the top of evolution, or the, the crown of creation. We think there is nothing out there. We have a psychological problem with extraterrestrials. Mm -hmm. But of course they were here. And we can prove it. In the deep past, some of our humans were taken away by extraterrestrials. These extraterrestrials took, came down, took some of the young boys, bring them up in their spaceship. One of these young boys was young Abraham, the one from the Bible. And Abraham clearly says, they took me up and I saw the round bull of the earth. This is a statement made before the great flood, Stone Age, the round face of the earth. They bring him up there, he sees the round earth, and they bring him to a place and he writes, the place where we were, once he, he turned up and then he turned down. Sometimes I saw the earth up and then I saw the earth down. Then I saw the stars down and the earth up. Now, when you are in a spaceship, which removes around its own axle, you get exactly that impression that sometimes the earth is up there and sometimes the stars are down because this is turning always around its own axis. But no one in Stone Age time could have known this. Extraterrestrials visited definitive our planet. I don't know, was it 5,000, 6,000 or 10,000 years ago or even longer, I have no idea. But we know that they were here because our ancestors have, have written about it. And our ancestors at that time were not science fiction writers. The ones who could write wrote the truth, the correct, the honest thing. And they did not tell us uh, fairy tales what happened. And they clearly say we were, we were visited by these guardians of the sky or watchmen of the sky. And in many of the old texts, they never use the word God. They always say the highest, not God. God is something different. In old Indian, there we have gigantic books called the Mahabharata. And one of these gigantic books is the fifth book, the Mausala Purva. And there, a young man with the name of Arjuna was taken up by the extraterrestrials. They bring him up there and he learns the language of the extraterrestrials. He's more than 10 years in the spaceship. And then he clearly says, 
they teach him the language. They teach him in astronomy. And he saw the earth beneath of him. He was in gigantic rooms. And even, he says, these extraterrestrials, he says, the guardians of the sky, they had fights among each other. Some of these ETs wanted to make ants as slaves out of us humans. Other was against it. Some of these ETs wanted to, to steal our raw material of the planet Earth. Others were against it. Some of it want to infect us, but to, to make us some kind of slave. And others were against. So they had a fight among each other. And Arjuna describes that one day he realized there were three cities in the sky. He doesn't use the word spaceship because he has no, head, has no word spaceship. Three cities in the skies, and there was a war in heaven, and one of the cities exploded completely. And from the, for the humans of the earth, it looks as if thousands and thousands of little stars, stones, are filling down. Now, this impression is written in the Mahabharata, in the fifth book. A war in heaven, this must all be fantasy, imagination. There can't be a war in heaven. When I was a boy, they teach me, Eric, when you live correctly and one day you will die and you come to heaven. And uh, if you have not uh, made big sins, you will probably go to paradise. Paradise is the place of absolute happiness. In paradise, you are united with God. In paradise, there are the angels. So it's a place of, of peace. But don't you remember, even in our Christian Jewish tradition, there was a fight, a war in paradise. You remember the story of Archangel Lucifer? One day he came to the throne to the Almighty God and said, we don't serve you anymore. And the Almighty God asked for the help of the Archangel Michael and, and, and put uh, Lucifer out of the, his disciples out of the place. So the word heaven is wrong. We must change the word heaven into space. A war in heaven makes absolutely no sense. A war in space makes sense, of course. Then we have to change simply a few words of antiquity in the antique text into modern terms, and the situation changes completely. I just made the example change heaven into space. What are angels? Peaceful, wonderful beings with wings. They have halos around their uh, heads, and they, they are the, the, the servers of God. But some of these angels were terrible killers. Read the Bible, the second book of the Kings. One angel killed 185,000 Sumerians, uh, Assyrians, just like this. No fight, no war, no weapons, just from heaven. He killed 185,000 Assyrians. Hey, what kind of angels are this? And funny mm -hmm. enough, the same story we find in hieroglyphics, so from the Egyptian part, in, on, a, on a temple wall in Edfu. There it says, again, they killed the, the, the guardians of the sky. They killed humans just like this. So heaven is probably space, definitely, and angels are not angels. Angels are extraterrestrials, cherubims. All these words of antiquity, which we adore because they have a religious meaning. We simply have to change the words into our today's knowledge. 
and we change it completely. As I said, a war in heaven is practically impossible, but a war in space is possible. By the way, even in, in the Bible and, and in the apocryphal text, different humans were taken into the heavens and were teached there. You remember Elijah, one of the prophets, he was the first who left our planet. Enoch, the prophet of Enoch, I speak about him later, he went into heaven. Heaven, they teached him and he returned from heaven to earth. One of the absolute most sensational reports we have in antiquity is the book of Enoch. Who is that Enoch? Enoch in the Bible is mentioned very shortly, just in two, two phrases. They said Enoch was the first one who disappeared with his body from this planet Earth. And Enoch was the seventh patriarch, so the seventh after Adam. And that's all what you read in the Bible, no more. But 230 years ago in the past, a British explorer came to Ethiopia. He was looking for God. He was seeking for the truth, God. And he ended in a convent in Ethiopia. And this British explorer stood there in the convent for 30 years in Ethiopia. He learned the Coptic language. He learned the Coptic writing. And in the library of this convent, he found a book with the title, The Book of Enoch. Now he knew the name Enoch from the Bible, but now a book of Enoch. He could read it. And to his astonishment, the book of Enoch was written and down in the first person, in the I form. I did, I saw, I watched, I moved, etc. Now Enoch tells an incredible story what happened to him. He says, I was 12 years old and uh, the whole village wanted to go to sleep. Then they saw a light in the firmament and then they saw this light is coming down and then they hear the terrible noise. And all the villagers run away, they were afraid. Just Enoch, he says, I stand there, bravely, strong. Then the noise disappeared, and two strange beings came close to Enoch. And Enoch clearly say, Ow. they were not humans. They did not breed like humans. If they did not breed like humans, so what are they? If not humans, must be non-humans. And Enoch now is afraid also, and he falls down on his ground, uh, feet, on his knees, with respect to the, the two strangers. One of the strangers speaks to Enoch and says, don't be afraid, human. Don't be afraid. We won't hurt you. Well, the first critic, the first question from the critic comes, why do extraterrestrials speak the language of Enoch? How is this possible? Thousands of years ago, I repeat myself, they came down. They behave themselves like ethnologists would do. They observed a few of our groups. They learned the language. And the language was never a problem. Simply remember our ethnologists today. They go to the upper Amazon River or somewhere to the upper Nile. And they came together with Stone Age culture, which still exists today up there. It takes a few months. And then the ethnologists of today speak the language of the natives. The language was never a problem. So, of course, to me it's not a surprise if extraterrestrial ethnologists observe a group and the one speaks to Enoch and says, don't be afraid, human, we won't hurt you. But Enoch still is afraid. And then one of the strangers says to, uh, says to Enoch, human, 
You smell terribly. <laughs> you stink. So, and then they ask Enoch to put all his clothes off completely. He stands there, the 12-year-old boy, naked. And then they put him into the water. He said, they say, you go and wash your body completely, including your hair, everything. And when he comes out of the water, one of the stranger gives him a clothes. They put this clothes on. And Enoch doesn't know how he must do that. But the stranger explains him. He puts the clothes on. And then he looks and says, now I looked exactly like them. He has the same clothes on that they had. Because in his stinking human clothes, he could not go to a mother spaceship or to a space shuttle, etc. So he has the clothes on of the extraterrestrials. Then they bring him up. They bring him up slowly over the earth. In the book of Enoch, again, the word God is not used. I know English and German translations where they always say God. In the original, God is never used. They always speak about the highest or a stranger, but not God. The translations are, are wrong. Why are the translations wrong? Because our ancestors had no other ideas. They had no possibility. They believed it must be God. And Enoch was taken into the heavens. He was not taken into the heavens. He was taken into the in, into space. Up there, he sees gigantic buildings. He used the word buildings. He has no word for spaceship. They came close to it. Doors open and doors close automatically. Enoch passes different gardens with vegetables and fruits and, and colors which he had never seen on Earth. And then he came into a big hall. In the center of the hall was a throne. A throne is a chair. And on the throne was sitting the highest majesty. Now these three, two strangers and Enoch, come into close to the throne and the highest stands up from the throne, makes a few steps through to Enoch and welcomes him at the place. Now, all that I just told is really part of the book of Enoch. Now the book of Enoch is part of the apocryphic text. I don't know an English version, but in Germany it looks like this. So if you have to look for the book of Enoch in the original, don't look at one of these modern, uh, modern books that they are not telling the real story. The original or Enoch from Ethiopia's old library is in here. Even in English, you have copies of the apocryphic text, and there you can find the complete book of Enoch. And of course, our ancestor who translated Enoch more than 200 years ago, they were brilliant translators, brilliant professors, brilliant uh, scientists. It was never a question of conspiracy or something like this, but they had no other way to translate. At their time, something like space travel did not exist. Something like flying, flying machines did not exist. Now they have an old text here. And somebody was taken up into the sky. So in their meaning, he must have gone into heavens. And the ones who came down must have been angels. So the translations were wrong. Not because of conspiracy, simply because of the time. The spirit of time was not right. They could not translate it in another way. In the meantime, the spirit of time has changed, and we are able to translate the book of Enoch in a modern way. The teachers up there teach Enoch in their language. He finally speaks their language. They teach him in astronomy. 
in every detail. They teach him in engineering, in astronomy. One of the strangers says to young Enoch, human, look out there. Do you see this little light out there? You humans call it the moon, but the moon has no light by itself. The moon receives his light from the sun. And then he explains to Enoch why the moon sometimes is full and half and half empty, etc. This is scientific knowledge. This is not fantasy. You know, we are still speaking about Stone Age people. They could not know, the Stone Age people, that the moon receives his light from the sun. They were thinking the moon has its own light. No, this was scientific teaching. And this, only with this phrase, you can prove that it must have been extraterrestrial. Remember, look out there, human. Do you see this little light? You humans, you call it moon. But the moon has no light by itself. The moon receives its light from the sun. And then he explains him how the changing of the, the, the moon t takes place. All this is in the book of Enoch. Enoch is the only one who gives even the names of the extraterrestrials. And these are the names. So I ask my skeptics and my critics, what do you want more? Enoch gives the names of their teachers. And then, of course, he realizes that these strangers, they want to have sex with humans. <laughs> but sex with humans, with the beautiful, is this not ridiculous? <laughs> Extraterrestrials have sex? I'm sorry, the same story you find in the Bible. Just read the Bible here. And it says, and when the sons of heaven saw that the daughters of men were beauty, they took them to wife. It's not Eric von Däniken's imagination. It's not coming out of my brain that they had sex with humans. It's part of the Bible and part of the book of Enoch and part of the Ethiopian holy book, the so-called Kebranekes, the oldest book of the Ethiopian kings. It's there. So they had sex with humans, even in the Bible. Now, Enoch learned the language, they, say, they, say, they teach him writing, they teach him every detail. And then, after all, he comes back to the planet Earth and he describes and he writes what his experience was with the ETs, with the guardians of the sky. That's why we have the book of Enoch. And by the way, he himself, not me, he writes in the book of Enoch, in the one from Ethiopia which we have, that he has written 200 books. Where are the 200 books of Enoch? We only have the one from Ethiopia. Where are the others? Before Enoch disappears with the guardians of the sky, he gives his 200 books to his son, Methuselah, mm -hmm. with the order, and that's written in the book of Enoch. And now, my son Methuselah, I give you all these books written by your father's hand. Keep them carefully for generations of the far future. Where are the, the books of Enoch? Methuselah, and this is written down again, he was the one who constructed with the knowledge of Enoch the Great Pyramid. And he said, we did this because in there we deposited all the books of my father Enoch, including some objects, some gifts of the guardians of the sky. So still today, the books of Enoch, 200 books, are in the Great Pyramid, including objects of the extraterrestrials. 
the spirit of time will change and sooner or later they will accept that in the pyramid there are not only rooms but in the pyramid there are objects and writings of the extraterrestrial. So, Enoch is complicated to find for you, except if you go to a library and look for the apocryphic text. Another figure which is easy to control for you, is very known to every one of us, is Ezekiel. Everyone can come can read the Bible. Ezekiel. Ezekiel, by the way, by, by profession, he was a high priest at the Temple of Jerusalem. And at his time, uh, Jerusalem was taken over by the Babylonians. And all the high society of the, 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 the Israelites were, were captured by the Babylonians. Uh, Ezekiel was high priest. He belonged to the high society. So he was captured too. And he's captured and he's, uh, they work together, probably a few hundred uh, persons, near a river with the name of Chebar. And that's when Ezekiel starts. He says, I was captured near the, the, the river of Chebar when the heavens were opened. Now again, like Enoch before, read Ezekiel. Ezekiel writes in the first person. Not somebody told me or I hear in the third person. I did. He stands there. And he clearly describes that they saw a light in the sky. And the light comes down and the light was greater. And then they hear the noise, a terrible noise. It compares the noise with the thundering of a waterfall with the noise of an army, etc. must have been very terrible noise. And finally, the vehicle who comes down comes to a standstill. Now again, Ezekiel is high priest. He believes that this is God, the true almighty God. So first he falls on his ground, on his knees, and then he stands up to give honor to the almighty God. And then he realizes that this is not God. It's something different. And Ezekiel describes in every detail the vehicle which stands behind him. Read it in the Bible. He describes the wings who made the terrible noise. He describes the legs. He clearly said the legs were out of, of metal. I took a few uh, uh, pictures out of an old Bible, more than 200 years old, just five pictures to give you an imagination what our forefathers had in mind when they read, read Ezekiel. Then I will show you and tell you the modern explanation the modern reconstruction of every, everything. So again, Ezekiel sees this vehicle, he says, upright, there was something like a littering, a glittering, and in the center of it was a throne. A throne is a seat. And on this throne was someone sitting, looking like a human in glittering clothes. Looking like a human? Are extraterrestrials like us? Do they look like we? Should extraterrestrials not be completely different to us? growing up from another planet in different forms? Yes and no. We have no idea how it all started. We don't know how and why and where the first intelligent form of life started. We simply have the fact it is the case, otherwise it wouldn't be here. It started somehow. The first intelligent form of life had an interest to spread out their own form of life. Why? Part of intelligence is curiosity. If you are not curious, you are not intelligent. It's automatically part of, of intelligence. So they wanted to find out, are we alone? Are there others? Are there other forms of life? So they want to 
spread out of the universe. In the beginning, you don't use spaceships. That's much too complicated. They learn that the distances between the stars are much too high, measured in light years, so it makes no sense. In the beginning, they simply infect a part of their Milky Way with their own DNA. Just drop on your fingers, now you have millions of cells gone away. In every cell, you have your DNA. And DNA is resistant against heat, against cold, against everything. So you send billions and billions of your Ancient own guardians DNA of the sky out into the one. universe. You know exactly Awakening the biggest part with of this DNA Duncan. will come into the gravity of a sun, will burn, destroy. Another part of it will come to the gravity of planets, which are completely wrong for it. For example, in our solar system, we have a planet like Mercury. Mercury is too hot. If DNA comes into Mercury, it burns down. Or a planet like Jupiter is too big. Its gravity would would kill it immediately, and the atmospherical conditions are methane, ammoniac, etc. So it's nothing. So part of the DNA will land on planets which are similar than our planet Earth. Are there planets which are similar than ours? According to ours? Wikipedia, the Three of Cups Until is the third card on the ago, Suit of Cups. In tarot, it is part of the minor arcana. Earth is unique in the universe. We have the right distance to the sun. It's not too hot, it's not too cold, etc. And we have water. In the meantime, NASA has declared that only in our Milky Way, not in the whole universe, just in our Milky Way, there are at least four billions of Earth-like planets. So some of the DNA, which they spread out, would reach Earth-like planets. And now evolution starts. And evolution has, as I said, unchangeable form. Evolution can bring out, as we have it on, on Earth, millions of forms of life, beetles, crocodiles, but unchangeable forms means when you have become intelligent, you have to have hands. For example, you have two eyes, and the two eyes always look in front. Two eyes will not have, or one eye, it doesn't matter, or three, it does not help you in the back. You have to see what you catch, or you have arms, fingers, it doesn't matter if you have one or five. To see what you catch. You have to run away, etc. Now, imagine, for example, crocodiles would be very intelligent. But with crocodile fingers, you cannot, you cannot uh, construct a computer. It, it, it helps not. Or imagine dolphins, the, the fishes, are extremely intelligent, which they are. So they jump out of the water, and they see the little lights up there at night. And they come together and say, what are, what are these lights? We are intelligent, we are curious, we want to find it out. But to find it out, they must make spaceships. To make spaceships, they must, they must create spaceship technology. They must create iron. To, make, to create iron, you have to, you have to make fire. To make fire, you have to come out of the water. In the water, you cannot make fire. So it's unchangeable forms, it doesn't matter. If you have different animals, unchangeable forms. So finally they come out. For example, again, if dolphins would be very intelligent, in the water, you cannot invent a computer. In the water, you cannot invent something which functions with electricity. It's not possible. You have to come out of the water. So these unchangeable forms force you to be similar than the ones who started this whole game. I said extraterrestrials had sex with humans. Are extraterrestrials the same? Yes, of course. There are many extraterrestrials, forms of life out there. Some of them can be completely different to ours. 
Maybe, I don't know, on some planets there might be extraterrestrials with tentacles and crazy forms which we, maybe they can fly, whatever, or looking like flying elephants. But there are also extraterrestrials who are similar to us because they are the, the offsprings of the DNA which the, the original race spread out in the universe. And we are part of it. So the question I started all this was, extraterrestrial has sex with human? Is this possible? Do they have the same sexual apparatus as we? In that case, yes, because they are the offsprings of it. It makes no sense. Now, Ezekiel described this vehicle which stands before him, the wings, the wheels, every, uh, uh, every, every detail. And I, uh, in Chariots of the Gods, 55 years ago, I came up with the idea that Ezekiel was describing a spaceship. Of course, I was crashed down and left, by, especially by the religious people. He said, this is not correct, what this Mr. von Däniken does. And simply to explain, for my family, we came out of the hotel business. So it was normal that after my high school, I went into the hotel business. There were some times I was a waiter. There were some times I was sitting at the reception desk. There were some times I was behind the bar. There was some time I was in the kitchen. And finally, when I got chariots of the guard, I was the managing director of a first-class hotel. Now, Chariots of the God is on the market. And the critics come and say, come on, this man from the hotel business, he was even a waiter. How can he come up with such ideas? He must be crazy. So I was crashed down completely. And there I made the suggestion that Ezekiel saw in reality a spaceship because he describes it in the first, or in, in the first term, uh, I did I saw, etc. Again, roughly 40 years ago, I had a secret speech at NASA in Huntsville, American Space Administration. Why secret? Some scientists from NASA asked me privately, Eric, would you be willing to have a speech among us, just a few group of scientists, but it should not go to the public. They were afraid to be ridiculed if they go to public that Eric von Däniken comes to the secret closed circle of NASA. I said, okay, that's why we did not went to public at that time. On this speech, I was also talking about Ezekiel. At the end of my speech, we had a wonderful dinner, and the chief of the construction section came to me, and Mr. Joe Brumrich, and he said, Eric, that was wonderful, but uh, Ezekiel, this is imagination. This is visions. This is Bible. This has nothing to do with technology. And he said, Eric, uh, I, I have, I'm, I'm from the profession. My profession is to construct rockets. He was the one who constructed together with others the Saturn V, who finally went to, to, to the moon. So, I, unfortunately, I tried to disprove you. And he started to read the Bible. He confessed me that he never read the Bible before. And of course, not Ezekiel. So now he has the Bible with two, in two different languages, English and German. And he was very shocked because Ezekiel wrote a lot of details which they had on a construction table for their planning to the moon and planning to lay the Mars. So Joe Blumrich reconstructed every detail according to the measurement of Ezekiel. And this was the outcome of it. That was Blumrich's NASA's reconstruction of Ezekiel. Ezekiel said that this whole thing on the top, you can see with the laser here. On the top, there was something like a, 
a, a, a glittering thing, and inside was a chair. And on the chair was someone sitting, looking like a human in glittering clothes. Well, the command in his spacesuit. And of course, he's sitting, he has to, has to, has to have a, a, a view around everything. He describes the body of the thing. He describes the wings, which made this terrible noise. And he even clearly states, when the wings stood still, they were hanging down. When the noise started, when the wings started again, the wings went up. He even say, when the splendorness of the highest, he calls this whole thing the splendorness of the highest. When the wings started, the noise started, and when it lifted up from the earth, the wings, the, the, the wheels lifted up too. And then he describes the wheels. You know, in Ezekiel's times, they had a wheel which go forward and backward. But the wheel which he sees here, when Ezekiel's vehicle could go forward, backward, right, and left at the same time without making any, any steering movement. When you are sitting in your car and you want to take a car, so you steer, and the wheels make a steering movement. Ezekiel described a wheel which goes forward, backward, right, and left without any moving. So, and he's so astonished, but he described this wheel four times. Now at NASA, they reconstructed the wheel of Ezekiel, and that was the outcome. They have the wheel and they separate the wheel into different segments. Now each segment, segment has an own axis, and each axis can turn in both directions. So it's clear with that kind of wheel, you can go forward, you can go backward, if you want to go in your direction. Just the axis turns in your direction or away from you. And with that wheel, you can go without the curve, without making a curve in right angle into every place. I mean, if you land on a strange planet, you probably don't have just a, a, a plane with grass where you can move in a curve. Maybe you have to, to, to move in, in around right angle. This is what this wheel can, which Ezekiel describes. And the funny thing is, NASA has received the patent for that wheel. And that wheel today is used on Mars, on the Mars rover. But the whole idea comes out of the Bible, the book of Ezekiel. I think that's not bad if, the, if, the, if you have here followers or ancestors of Ezekiel, you should ask for money in the meantime. Now Ezekiel describes every detail of the wheel, and the wheel was reconstructed. And then at the second time, the second part of the book from chapter 44, he says, the splendorness of the Lord arrived a second time, the splendorness of the height, a second time. And this time, they took me up, they put me on a chair, and they brought me on a very, very high mountain. Read this in the Bible. He does not say, they brought me on a mountain. They brought me on a very, very high mountain in the Bible. He doesn't know where this mountain is, where they go. Scholars, biblical scholars said, well, Ezekiel had a vision. He had a dream of a Jerusalem in the future. This is nonsense. Ezekiel grew up in Jerusalem. If they would have brought him to Jerusalem, he would describe, yes, they brought me to Jerusalem. It's not Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there are no very, very high mountains. He was at some complete different place. He doesn't know where it is. And when they came to a landing, there, there is a big building. Ezekiel sits on the splendor of the highest, 
And the, the, the captain asked the human Ezekiel, look down, human, what do you see? And Ezekiel said, there was something like a big village or a small city. And in the center of it was something like a temple. He does not say it was a temple, something like a temple. Ask yourself, what was the meaning of the word temple in antiquity? A place for the gods, a place for the extraterrestrials. Honor them, worship them, the place where they were living. But something like a temple. They came down and they make a landing inside the building which looks like a temple. They came to a standstill, Ezekiel goes out, and there comes a stranger in white glittering clothes and says to Ezekiel, Oh, oh humans, you humans, you have eyes to see, but you see nothing. You have ears to hear, but you hear nothing. And then the stranger gives Ezekiel a, a, a measuring device, whatever it is, some, something which you can measure. And the stranger says to Ezekiel, humans now measure this whole building. Ezekiel, in the meantime, has clearly understood that this is not God. It's, not, it's something different. So he has courage. He asks the stranger, he asks back, why should I measure this building? Why? And the stranger in white clothes said, that's why we brought you up here. Now Ezekiel starts to measure long, large, different steps, every detail. Read the Bible. Pages of pages of measuring in Ezekiel. In the whole Bible, you find this amount of measuring devices, uh, dates only in Ezekiel. Now, I just said NASA reconstructed the spaceship of Ezekiel in every detail. And then a German engineer came, his name is Hans Herbert Bayer, and he stumbled over these measurement dates at the book of Ezekiel. And he asked himself, is this reality or was this just a dream, a vision of Ezekiel? He started to take Ezekiel's measurement for real and reconstructed and designed exactly the building. One day, I had a yellow envelope on my desk a long time ago, and there, a, le a letter from this, at that time, unknown, Dr. Hans uh, Herbert Bayer, and he said, Dear Mr. von Däniken, I just took the real measurement of Ezekiel. I wanted to know if this building is real or just a fake. And here is the result. Incredible. I was completely shocked. So the reconstruction was there. I asked back immediately to this Mr. Hans Herbert Bayer, do you know the story of Mr. Joe Blumrick of NASA who reconstructed the, the spaceship of Ezekiel? Now the German engineer Hans Herbert Bayer had never heard the word of the, of the NASA engineer Joe Blumrick. I brought these two people together. And funny again, the spaceship of Ezekiel from NASA fit perfectly into the reconstruction of the German engineer Hans Herbert Bayer. So the so-called temple was nothing else than the base camp of the extraterrestrials. It all fits perfectly. No coincidence. You see? Now what can we do? Again, our translations in the past were made from a biblical standpoint, from a religious and psychological standpoint. Our professors at that time who translated Ezekiel were real famous beings, but they could not translate it the other way. In the meantime, we know what happened. Ezekiel sees the light up there with his captured people. 
they hear the noise, some vehicle came down, Ezekiel by profession is a priest, he thinks in the beginning that this must be God, so he fells himself on the knees, and then he realized this is not God. Now he stands up and he starts to describe every details, the wings with their noise, the feet who were metallic, then the, of course the wheel, the wheel which could go in every direction, forward, backward, right and left, without the steering movement. All this is handed down in the Bible. And in the meantime, we can reconstruct it. He says, between the living creatures, there was something glittering, like, like a fire. It was simply the cooler from the atomic reactor, because the energy comes from a, a little atomic reactor. We have these small atomic reactors too in our day. And he describes every detail. He's completely upside down when he sees the wheel. The wheel who could, could go in every direction without a steering movement. Now, in the meantime, we know what it was. Everything is clear. So I always ask our scholars again, we are looking for evidence of uh, extraterrestrials. We have evidence of extraterrestrials, not only in the Bible. And we can reconstruct it. We know how all of this took place in the meantime. But these scholars, who are brilliant persons, simply don't know it. The spirit of time has changed. Our scholars, I said it at the beginning of my speech, they are looking for traces of life in microscopic forms, molecules, bacteria, meteorites. But in reality, they were here. And it is handed down in different old books. With old books, I mean books which are thousands of years old. The book of Enoch. He clearly described what happened. They brought him up there. They teach him. Remember, the stranger said to Enoch, human, look out there. Do you see this little light out there? You humans call it the moon. But the moon has no light by itself. The moon receives its light from the sun. All this is enough. And we have many of these old books in ancient India and the Mahabharata. But they don't know it. Our scholars who are brilliant people, they simply don't know it. They don't have the information. The informations are here, and I know what I'm talking about. I have so far published 44 titles on this subject. I really know what's going on in all holy texts, and I know the archaeological mysteries. You will see some of them tomorrow. But our scientific community doesn't know it. It's not bad will. They are simply not interested. They say this can't be possible. This can't be. We don't have to read books like Eric von Däniken or others. They are all making mistakes or dreams or wishes. It's not dreams or wishes. The descriptions are absolutely clear. Now to come to this, to an end, I want to show you something which is absolutely sensational. You all have heard about the plane of Natska in Peru. Everyone knows what Natska is. And I nerve myself practically every year, every mm -hmm. second year, on world television, we see a so-called documentary on Natska. By scientists, when you hear the word documentary, you think, well, it's documentary, it's scientific knowledge. And what are they telling us? They're showing us the desert of Natska. The desert of Natska is about 500 kilometers south of Lima in Peru. And the desert of Natska is flat, more or less flat, there are a few hills in there. And it's very hot. 
And the stones on the desert are brown because from the heat for thousands of years, 10,000 from the sun. Now, if you simply put the stones away, you crash the stones away, you receive a brighter shining surrounding underground. Now, they show us on television, on their documentary, how easy it is to make these figures. On Natska, when you stand there as a tourist, you see first nothing. You just see the desert with the brown stones. Soon as you fly a little over Natska in a helicopter, and you see out of the desert figures, figures like fishes, monkeys, spiders, apes, humans, etc. Figures but of such overdimensional size that you can see them only from the air. Then you go higher and higher again, and then you see between the figures gigantic lines. Some of the lines are small. The longest of it is 26 kilometers long. Stride ahead of hills and mountains. And then you see something which looks like airstrips. Now what nerves me, every year scientific documentation, they show you the small lines. They show you how easy it is to, to construct these figures by scratching away the stones, which is all true. But they do not show you these pictures. These pictures which you see here is Natska. Original Natska, you never see them on a television documentation. You never see them somewhere. This is Natska. Of course, we have these small figures. We have these spiders, fishes, monkeys, labyrinth, etc. But the biggest mystery of Natska is this. Hi, you don't see them in television. This is impressive. I said in Chariots of the Guards, some of these lines look like airstrips. I never said they are airstrips. I said they look like airstrips. I'm sorry, what do they look like? And they show us only the pictures of the fishes of the monkeys. They don't show us these figures. This is original Natska. What has the scientific community so far come up with Natska? They said, and I read all the Natska books, it's all an astronomical calendar. The next say it's a cult for the water gods. <laughs> no, it's a cult for the mountain gods. It's a cult for agriculture. Look at that picture. Beam it into your brain. This is Natska. But you never see it on scientific documentations on TV. You only see the figures. The next say no, it's a cult for agriculture. I even read in a, in a super book, Natska was a pre-Inca sport place, some sort of huh. pre-Inca Olympia. Hmm. Says, this is a copy of Fata Morgana. Now look at this picture a little closer. You see one, one of these lines looking like an airstrip, and under the line, you see a zigzag line. And the zigzag line definitely is under, under this. I think this, it's mining. Uh, so looking like an airstrip. Now come closer to it. They cut off the mountain artificially. You see, these are normal mountains. You see, from both sides, the mountain comes to the top of it. But this mountain was cut off artificially. Stone Age people. My friend George Tsukalos always say, with chicken bones or what? <laughs> they cut up complete mountains. Stone Age people. To put this, and then you have the zigzag line under it. And they don't show it to the public. They just say they are only fishes, monkeys, birds, spiders, 
these kind of pictures you are never shown. You think go there to mine gold? It's a shame. So they say these are pre-Inca sport places out of Olympia. It's copies of Fata Morganas. It's a start place for hot air balloon. These are acker plots. These are boundary makers. These are pro pro processing streets. Where are the pathways to the processing streets? Oh, you find nothing. They say this is an astronomical map. They say it's a cultural atlas. It's all coming from the scientific community. And I often have the idea they never were in Nazca. They, they, they all, one copies what the other says. They never were there in original. To, to look at Nazca, these pictures speak for, speak for themselves. And we close our eyes and say, this can't be true. Oh yes, all this is true. Now, we live in a time, time has to change. The scientific community, which I adore, and our astronomers who are brilliant people, they have simply to change their minds. Finally, they have to accept the changing of the spirit of time. Until today, they don't look at our indications. They don't look at this. They simply ignore it. But we, not only I, many of my brilliant colleagues have brought a lot, a lot, a lot of evidence and proof that extraterrestrials were here some thousands of years ago. You cannot deny this anymore. Our scientific, I said it not the sure first time, look for primitive molecules, primitive bacteria in, 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 in meteorites. Wonderful. And they ignore that they were here already. Why? Why are they afraid to say that they, they were here? First, they simply don't know it. They say they ignore the fact they don't know about the facts. Real scientists never read, read a book of Eric von Däniken. Hey, come on, this is all rubbish. It's all garbage. We don't read it. They don't read book of some of my colleagues. They don't, they're not interested. And if they are interested, they all come on. That's imagination. This is Bible. This is wishes. These are dreams. Now, our ancestors some thousands of years ago were not liars, not scientific, science fiction writers. They wrote the truth. The first persons who were able to write wrote what they knew at that time, what the high priest or the king told them to write, and not uh, stories from, uh, from their imagination. We should take all this into, in, in, into our consequences. We should learn from our past. Humanity is not unique yeah, good in luck. the world. <laughs> Out there, there are many forms of life, and we can prove that at least one form of life was here on planet Earth. We Ancient can prove Guardians it by the, by the scientific documents and monuments Guardians which of the I will show you tomorrow. The spirit of time has changed, and we have to accept and we have to become humble and say, okay, we are not unique on this planet. Somebody is oh. out there and somebody <gasps> was here already. And this somebody promised to return. And we should be prepared for this return. If we are not prepared, we will be shocked. Just imagine one day a spaceship arrives and you see it on television. Whole humanity see it in their countries. What a shock, especially for religious communities like, for example, the Muslim society. They are completely shocked. What? Yeah. We are not alone. Extraterrestrials were here. Or the Jewish or the Christian community, we all have learned in the Bible that there is Moses, and Moses had contact with God. And I said, God descended from the holy mountain with smoke, fire, trembling, 
loud noise. Now it turns out it was not God. It was extraterrestrials. Again, I'm a deep believer in God. I am one of these figures who pray every day. Also, I have no idea what God is. I pray to the almighty grand spirit of the universe, which is God. But my God does never use a vehicle in which to move from point A to point B in a, in a vehicle. My God is omnipotent, is all over. So now we have these old texts, and we should change our religious belief. When you accept something like our theory, you do not become an unbeliever. You still know that God does exist, and you admire God, but you lose the religious knowledge. Moses has not seen the almighty God coming down on the mountain with smoke and fire and trembling and louder. He's so extraterrestrial. So this new truth will shock us, will shock the community, will shock mankind. That's why we should prepare them slowly, slowly, slowly. It will probably take one generation. I guess within the next 10 years, the situation is clear. And everyone knows we are not alone. They were here some thousands of years ago. And we can prove them. We can definitely prove this. Ladies and gentlemen, I was at the beginning. In the meantime, I'm 87 years old, but I have the impression the Almighty God uh, protect me. I feel very perfect. My brain is still working. I admire to speak to you. I am happy to be here to give a few of my words to you. And I hope with a little of my knowledge, you grow up too, and you yourself become a researcher. What a beautiful man. More knowledge in this field. Thank you for listening to me. Bye-bye. So, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Did you say stop that? That was so good. We're going to need to see the second one, part two. So thanks for 323K, even if it's just law enforcement. At least uh, pigs are learning something. <laughs> yeah. Need a little culture, apparently. Instead of doing all those drugs, they're competent crap they're confiscating from people all day long bunch of fucking um tweakers that's what uh that's what our police force is bunch of tweakers bunch of tweakers Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, my English is still not better than yesterday, but it's okay. <laughs> so, in the 50s, French ethnologists visited and studied a, a tribe of black people in Africa.
Africa, in the Republic of Mali. The tribe is called the Dogon tribe. And the French ethnologists, they observe that this tribe celebrates every 50 year a special festivity. So the ethnologists ask them, why only every 50 years? That's quite a long period for a festivity. I mean, not even every generation can be part of this festivity. And the Dogons, the priest says to the ethnologist, we do this every 50 years because every 50 years an invisible star is surrounding that star up there. And they pointed to our Sirius star system every 50 years. By the way, the pictures you see are from the Dogon tribe in Central Africa, the Republic of Mali, the tribe I'm talking about. So every 50 years, an invisible star surrounds Sirius. Now the analogists say, come on, if the star is invisible, you don't see it. I don't read you. There's no reason for your festivity. They said, oh, yes, we know it, because our gods visited us from there, and they told us that. Now, the Dogon tribe not only knew about this invisible star, they had pictures, cave paintings, and there you show an eclipse, not the circle, an eclipse. And down at the right corner of the eclipse was Sirius. They marked Sirius with a point. And they said, this invisible star is surrounding Sirius in the form of an eclipse, and Sirius itself is always right down at the right corner. Now, Modern astronomy knows that Sirius is in fact a double star system. The bright shining Sirius, which everyone knows, is called in astronomy Sirius A. And there is an invisible star called Sirius B. Sirius B is a so-called white dwarf. You cannot see it. That's what the Dogon know eye. about it. The Dogon tribe knew about now, it. The natives know about it. <laughs> now, another story which is linked to this story in South Africa are ruins which you've seen on our screen, the ruins of Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe was further called Rhodesia, and now today it's in our own state in Zimbabwe. And in Zimbabwe, they have this ruin, ruin of an eclipse, and down in the right corner, they have a, to a, a tower. This ruin has no, no paintings, no writings, nothing. The ethnologists of Zimbabwe have no idea who made that ruin of Zimbabwe and what the symbolic is. In the meantime, they learned about the Dogon tribe, which are just their neighbor in Africa. And maybe this ruin shows the star system of Sirius with down in the right angle, Sirius, that, uh, uh, Sirius is in the right <laughs> angle, and Sirius B, the invisible, is surrounding <laughs> Sirius A in that form of an eclipse. Now, you cannot see Sirius B. You cannot know that Sirius B makes an eclipse. You cannot know that the star Sirius is down in the right corner. You see nothing of all this. And they know this since many, many generations. Why? For every festivity, the high priests have different masks. Every mask shows different signs. These signs are dates. Now they make their festivity every 50 years. So for every 50 years, new masks are created. At the end of the festivity, they hang their masks on the central house. Now you simply have to count the masks. 
every mask counts for 50 years, 50, 100, 150, 200, etc. And you know, since thousands of years, they have this knowledge of Sirius B surrounding Sirius A with the Sirius down in the right corner. And they absolutely could not know it and see it by the naked eye. And their information is handed down them by a visitor from the Sirius star system. A mystery. He will really know somebody has informed this tribe with a scientific message. It's not just folklore or something like what this. What does seven of pentacles mean? The next mystery, which does exist, According to Wikipedia, is from Greek. It was on Eastern of the year 1900-19000, when Greek drivers, drivers, the, the, uh, divers, at the, divers at the sea, uh, from the island of Antiquitera in the Mediterranean Sea, they found in 60 meters deep a wreck, an old ship. Different objects were brought to the surface, little statues, engraved stones, and something which looked like a, a bigger stone with some engravings on. And that was in the year 1900. This stone landed in the National Museum of Athens, but not as expedition, simply in the cellar. Only 58 years later, a young student of archaeology, his name was Valerio Stais, <coughs> found the stone in the cellar of the museum with a certain engraving in it. And he asked himself, what, what, what is this? And he found a, a, a writing there on a, on a paper that it was found in the year 1900, 60 meters deep in the Mediterranean Sea before the island of Antiquitera. Later, the same student, Valerio Stais, became professor of archaeology at the Yale University in New Haven in Connecticut. He remembered the strange stone and brought it to New Haven. They checked it under magnifying glasses and the, the effect was dramatically. They found more than 80 cogwheels, some of them only visible under the magnifying glass. Very, very little. And then on the front and backside, microscopical inscriptions which, which figures were found. It turned out that they gave the correct date of the planets in our solar system. And this in relation to each other. So, for example, in what distance is Mars surrounding the Sun? And what is the distance between Mars and Jupiter or Mars and Mercury at what date of the year? No. When Mars was there, where was Jupiter in relation to Venus, for example? It was all on this uh, engraved stone. Professor Dr. Theodos Theodosius Cassiot from the National Technical Museum of Athens, Athens said, this mechanism is a computer. Not a digital computer, but an analog computer. Now, 2,000 years or more in the past, it was theoretically possible to construct such a thing. Our handicrafts were able to do such things. But what is absolutely not possible is the knowledge of the dates of the planets in our solar system. You know, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, these little uh, uh, planets were found only 150 and 200 years ago. How did they come across? And 80 cogwheels, 
you see them only under a magnifying glass. So Any we have absolutely wheels. no idea where this mystery, the machine of Antikythera, came from. But they have the knowledge of all this, the planets in our solar system. Somebody must have teached them in antiquity. And this somebody must have been an extraterrestrial. In our own solar system, we have no other forms of life, not intelligent forms of life, so it must have come from outside. The machine of Antikythera, it is called, can be seen today in every detail, by the way, at the National Museum of Athens in Greece. When you ever go to Athens, go to the National Museum, and they show you the computer in every detail, the machine of Antikythera, more than 2,000 years or even older than that. The next uh, impossibility also comes from Turkey. It was in the year 1929 in Istanbul. Somebody cleaned up some uh, rubbish at the Topkapi Palace in Istanbul and found an old map designed on the skin of an animal. Wow. On the lower side was an inscription which said, designed by Piri Reis on April 7th of the year 1513. No one on this world possesses a map like this. Designed 1513, no one possesses a map like this. It turned out that Piri Reis was an admiral of the Turkish Marine. And on the back side of the map, he wrote himself that he designed this map on the base of different other old maps, which they made him a present at the Library of Alexandria. So there were different maps, and Pirrais, the admiral, composed it out of different maps, the Pirrais map. The map was named the Pirrais map, according to what is written in the back. Now, Professor Dr. Charles Hepcoot, a, a US geographer, studied it closer and was completely shocked. What do we see on the upper side here? Uh, you see the parts of, of Spain. It doesn't help the laser, you can't see nothing. Parts of Spain. Then you see Gibraltar. Yeah. Then you see part of Africa here. But what's down, completely down? The coastline of the Antarctic is on the map. But the Antarctic insists in thousands of years on the thick ice and snow. And not only the coastline of the Antarctic, Several little islands are there on the map. And all these islands in the correct position compared with today. Professor Dr. Charles Hapgood made it clear. You see the grid here. And he mapped it and compared it to today. And he said, Professor Dr. Charles Hapgood, I quote, the coastlines must have been designed before the ice covered the land. The ice there is today approximately one mile thick. We have no idea how this is possible. Somebody cartographed the coastline of the Antarctic, including the little islands before the coastline, and they all are in the correct position compared with today. Absolutely impossible. Now, today, they made the suggestions that the Antarctic must have been free of ice. We don't know how many, 10 or 100,000 years ago, and some uh, cartographer made a design on it. 
that we cannot understand it according to our evolution some more than 10,000, 20,000 years ago or even more there was no human or somebody made a photograph from a satellite <coughs> taken over Cairo and give a picture of, uh, or a copy of it to one of his ancestors, to a king as a gift and this king maybe made a map and today we have the map of Piriris with the, the coastline of the Antarctic which nobody can explain a mystery still existing these are facts which you can control by the way when you go to Turkey you still find that uh, in the Topkapi Palace you can see the original Piriris map the next mystery comes from South America there in the high Andes uh, of the Sierra Nevada. This is, you know, Colombia today. Professor Dr. Alvaro Soto from the University of Bogota found <clears throat> 1,300 meters high in the jungle, the ruins of a city. Now, most of you have probably been once in Peru and you have visited the tourist Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu with its terraces in the jungle. This year is 10 times bigger than Machu Picchu in the jungle of the Sierra Nevada. So if you come from the Caribbean Sea, Santa Marta is a city. You could fly by helicopter in there. <laughs> they flew me by helicopter in there. Then if you wish to go there personally, you can or fly, which they do not accept anymore, or you can take a, a mule or a horse. It takes you a six days ride before you are there. I photographed this 20 years ago or a little more. And wherever I look, to the right, to the left, it doesn't matter. It's all terraces, platforms, up, up of you, down of you, on the right side, on the left side. It never is, ends. Roughly 450 years ago, the Spanish conquerors fighted against a tribe who was living here. The tribe was called the Kagaba. Of course, the, the Kagaba lost, but some of them survived. And they are still there today, the tribe of the Kagaba. Now look at the picture in the jungle. Everywhere are ruins. The jungle is full with it. And it's not known to the public. The Kagaba have their creation story. And they say the Kagaba are also named Kogi. Kogi, Kagaba, it's the same. They say that the high priest, descended from the sky after a great flood. There was a flood, a worldwide flood. The high priest left the earth and after the water went back, the high priest descended from the skies. Funny, the same situation or the same uh, tradition we find on the Sumerian cuneiform. There it is written, after the flood, the gods descended again from the sky. The Kagaba or the Kobe, they call themselves the older brothers. Why we, the normal humans, are the younger brothers. The high priest is called Mama. And still today, he says he stands in contact with the teachers from the sky. Still today, the high priest says he stands in telepathically contact with the with the gods from antiquity in their eyes everything is living not only the humans and the animals but also every object not only every plant every stone 
as a form of life in their eyes when Jimmy was next to them. They built their houses and the houses has nine, you see, different platforms. Four platforms are above us, four beneath us, and we are living on the fifth platform. Now they construct their houses still today in the form of an egg, see like this. They know exactly the tradition concerning the great flood, as we know it, as I said before from the Bible. According to the Kagaba or the Kogi, the whole universe has this form, this form of an egg, containing nine levels, four levels exist over us, four levels under us, and our solar system is on the fifth level. Therefore, their houses are constructed in the form of an egg. There is the house of the man, and across the house of the woman, out of the roof ridge, two cross beams like this are coming out. And out of the man's house, one big pillar. Now exactly every year on March 21st, a long shadow enters into the cross shadow from the man's house to the woman's house, which says, the shadow from the man's house enters into the shadow of the woman's house on March 21st, which means it is spring. It is time to put the seeds into the earth. Still today, the Kagaba practice astronomy, and naturally, they are convinced that the gods one day will return. Still today, the high priest says the gods will return soon. I heard something similar from the Hopi Indians in North America. I don't know if this is true, but here from the Kagawa we know it. The gods who visited our forefathers and the high priest is still in telepathic contact with them said they are on the way back to our solar system and they will show up sooner or later. Well, this is the old story of uh, returning of the gods. Every culture except expects the God of returning. Religion has made out religion of it. For example, we are educated as Christians. We believe one day Jesus will return. But the Jewish community is educated as Jewish. They believe one day the Messiahs are coming. The Muslim society is educated as Muslim. They believe one day Mahadi is coming. Now different dates, different things. But I'm sorry, honestly, not every religion can be right. Some of them must be wrong. Sorry, they are all wrong. Neither Jesus nor Mahadi or, or thing will return, but extraterrestrials will return. They were here some thousands of years ago. Now the distances between one star and the other are measured in light years. You cannot just move over there and return the next morning. So between one visit and the other, there are always some thousands of years. That's why before they left last time, when the extraterrestrials were here, they promised to return in the far future. This promise of returning has entered into every religion, not only into every religion, into every culture on this planet. Maybe you remember roughly 450 years ago, Francisco Pizarro. Francisco Pizarro was a Spanish conqueror. He uh, found South America, the tribe of the Inca. When he showed up with his ship, the Inca believed that Francisco Pizarro, the Spanish, is to return the long-awaited God. They all fell down on the ground. They worshipped him. 
Of course, he was simply a human, but they believed that it is the awaited God. The same thing in Central America. Hernando Cortes, the Spanish conqueror, came to Central America for the first time. There was a kingdom, Moctezuma, the Aztecs. Even the, the king of the Aztecs, Moctezuma himself, fell down on the ground. He believed that the Spanish conqueror is uh, the long-awaited God. Go away, for example, to a faraway island like uh, Hawaii. James Cook, British explorer, came for the first time to Hawaii. What happened? The natives all fell on the ground. They believed that James Cook was the long-awaited God. Always the same thing. Every <laughs> culture worldwide knows about the returning of the God because they promised long time ago that in the far future they will return. And they are still waiting for the so-called God. Now I can tell you a story which is absolutely sensational, I think, and which uh, I am the only one who has the pictures, because I made these pictures roughly 45 years ago. In the upper Amazon River is a tribe called the Kayapo. And the Kayapo has every year a special festivity. They dress like this. Only the high priest dresses like this. The rest of the tribe makes a ring around this man and they dance around this dressed man. While they dance around, they sing their story. Long, long time ago, they said, there was of a sudden a noise in the sky and the bright shining light was coming down. They were afraid. They ran away into their caves. Then it became quiet and uh, that they came out of the caves and they saw in the center of, of, of the, the place was a strange being. The strange being was dressed in a, in a, he was covered complete, he had no openings for eyes, mouths, ears, nothing. In the beginning they were afraid of it. The stranger turned always himself around his own axis and, and gave some goodies away, sweet stuff to the natives. So the, the, they were not afraid anymore, and they came closer to it. It took only three days, and the stranger spoke the language of the natives. And the stranger explained, his name is Bepe Koroch. And Bepe Koroch in their language means, I'm coming from the firmament. Bepe Koroch only lived a few weeks ago. Sounds like a And nobody could touch him. It's his, his, his dress outside, but nobody ever saw his skin, his face directly. He never eats something. He teaches them in astronomy. This so-called Stone Age tribe knows exactly about our solar system, about the planets surrounding the sun, the watch distance, etc. Et he say, he teaches them also not only in astronomy, but also in, in agriculture and in practical things. He showed them what kind of, of, of uh, plants were used to, to, to store their meat. But it, so. And then one day he said he will leave now, but he will return in the far future, that they should never forget it. And in order to not forget this visit of Pepe Carocci, they make this dance still every year. Now I'm sorry, here we have a proof. This is a natural tribe in the upper Amazon river. No contact with society. No, oh, I thought it was no, a dogon. At that time, when I filmed it, 
They had no radio. There were no television, no handish, nothing. In the meantime, they have some trousers on and so. Mm -hmm. So-called primitive Stone Age tribe. And since thousands of years, they make their festivity with the address of their teacher from the sky. What do we want more? <laughs> what yeah. does our society what more want proof more? Do you need? Our astronomers, I adore them, brilliant people, astrophysics. But they don't know nothing about these things. They have no idea. They are looking for microscopic cells and stuff in meteorites, and they are not opening their eyes. <clears throat> we have proof that extraterrestrials were here. And I say we have, not just speculation, curiosities. We know what we are talking. And I especially know what I'm talking. I, I have published 45 books on this subject. I know what's going on. But our brilliant astronomers are not interested. This cannot be. This is impossible. Extraterrestrials could never visit us. The distances are too, too big, or they don't look like humans. They have no idea what is going on. Of course, the distances wow. are large between wow. one star and another. Wow. But it is easy to reach these distances. Look, everyone here knows the American space shuttle. Do you remember this machine which you go up? With every lift up, you transport 50 tons, 50 tons to, to an orbit around the Earth, at roughly 30 tons. Now it's a question of money. If you start every four months, or if you start practically every week, if we have five or 10 machines, space shuttle, you will start every week. That means every week you transport 30 tons in an orbit. You put all this material together to a gigantic circle. It has to be a circle. The circle is finished, you turn the circle around its own axis. By turning the circle around its own axis, you, you create gravity inside by that by the centrifugal force. So you don't swim around there. And then the circle, you have to have an engine in the center, mm -hmm. and you simply start. Slowly, with only 2% of the speed of light. Nothing like over speed of light, nothing like hocus pocus or mysteries, just 2% of the speed of light. With 2% of the speed of light, you would reach a distance of 10 years within 500 human years. They say 500 human years, nobody will survive this. Of course not, but think it's a generation spaceship. The, the parents make children, the children make children, the grandchildren make children, etc. So after 500 years, you reach another solar system. There you look for a planet which is similar to our Earth planet. Uh, ten years ago, we believed that the Earth is unique in the universe. Only we have water. Only we have the, the right the temperature, not too hot, not too cold. In the meantime, <laughs> we know the universe is full of Earth-like planets. So you reach an Earth-like planet after 500 years of travel. Now you give to the crew, which you send down to the new detector planet, you give them another 500 years to develop an industrial society. So 500 years on the way. 500 years to, to develop an industrial society. They should develop an industrial society. I'm sorry. How long or how old is our industrial society? Our engines, 150 years, 200 years, 250 years. And we had to create, to work everything out of evolution, evolution of technology. Our forefathers had to learn every detail before we have our industries. Here in that example, they don't have to start at the beginning. The, the, 
the travelers from the spaceship know it. They tell them how machines work, how you can, uh, what kind of raw material you use, where you can find the raw material. We give them 500 years for industrial society. After 500 years, they would be able to construct their own spaceship. Now you have two spaceships, the old one with which they arrived, and the second one, the new one which they made. And this new one starts again, and this again, 500 years on the way. And again, another 500 years to create a, 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 an industrial society far away. With expanding of only 2% of the speed of light, you would create intelligent forms of life in our Milky Way completely within 10 millions, that's 10 millions of years. You think 10 millions of years is big? Forget it, it's nothing. Our universe is billions and billions of years old. It's nothing, it's just that not even a, a, a thousands of, of the, the date of the universe. Everything is possible. There are no breaks. This is impossible. We cannot do it. Of course you can do it. Another story. About two and a half thousand years ago, roughly 500 BC, the Greek historian Herodotus was in Egypt. He has written two books about Egypt. And in his second book of history, he says, the high priest showed him 251 statues on the road, on a boulevard. The high priest and Herodotus were working 241 statues. And the high priest said to every statue a story. Who was his name when he was living from what to what? At the end of the boulevard, the high priest said to Herodotus, these 241 statues represent 11,340 years. At that time, the high priest said, the gods from the firmament were among the humans. Since that time, the gods have not returned. If you want to control this, take Herodotus' second book of history, chapter 140, 141. He says, 11,340 years ago, the gods from the firmament were living among the humans. Since that time, they have not returned. Now, Herodotus made this statement, seen from today, two and a half thousand years ago. So to the 11,340 years, we have to add two and a half thousand years. So roughly 14,000 years ago, it all happened that the gods were among the humans. And Herodot also says in his second book of history that deep under the pyramid, the plateau of the pyramids, there is a lake. And under the lake, covered by the water, is a black, black sarcophagi. Our ethnologists and archaeologists from Egypt, they never took Herodot's word for true. They say, what is he talking about? 11,340 years, this is all nonsense. The history of old Egypt is, if we take it very high, 2,500 BC, maybe 3,000 BC, but not 11,300. What is he talking about? Why the fuck not? And the sarcophagi, a lake under the pyramid, that's all rubbish, says our Egyptologist. There's no success. Hmm. Some years ago, I read a short There's article water in, in the a Dendera newspaper still? that archaeologists discovered under the pyramid, on the pyramid plateau, in fact, a lake. That was just a short message, and then we heard nothing anymore. <laughs> of course, Ra Ramon, my secretary, and I, we went down to Egypt. Don't ask me how much money I paid for the bakshish, for the professors. <laughs> we simply paid. I said, I want to go down there. If this story is true, I want to know it. I want to bring the picture there. 
And of course, Ramon and I were down. I show it to you. The entrance is not under the pyramid, it's on the pyramid plateau. You, you enter up here, so, to this room. From that situation, you go, there is uh, one small ladder, only two and a half meter. You enter into a room. And from that room, you have a shaft right down, deep down. But the shaft, you see this shaft here, is so large that it has room for two ladders going down. You just see them. You come to another room. You have to go down on your knees. And then you enter into the, this room. And the, uh, in the room are uh, uh, six, uh, seven niches. I'll have to create, start a page for my podcast. Two <laughs> and post, uh, post like groups of pictures because uh, this is pretty amazing stuff. Or you can get your own subscription to Gaia. It's only 12 bucks a month. It's awesome. Do that. Sarcophagus. This one is black basalt. Wow. There are no black basalt, which is volcanic rock nearby. They must have transported from far away. Why? Why do they use black basalt? <laughs> the next sarcophagi is made out of granite. Egyptologists uh, so told me here when they found it, the sarcophagi were empty. I don't believe it, but they weren't empty when I came down. Wonder if they can use sound now, to move, point, move it closed. Another shaft goes down, and you will see. This second shaft is not the same one as before. Before we had two letters. And you see now that's another shaft, only one letter going down. Now you are 52 meters in the, the rock under the pyramid. Imagine that. Over you at the pyramid. Again, you have to go on the units. You have to crawl uh. to the next room. Uh. And there you see of a sudden water. It's not a sea, it's a, a, a tank of water here. Isn't Osiris? Now, we had, of course, our flashlight, but we there? cannot use the flashlight it's because soon as we used the flashlight, the reflection was so strong that you could see not nothing anymore. Brinksnaxter. Now, finally, we, we realized that, in fact, in the water, you see, slowly coming up this, the, the, the corners of a sarcophagus covered by water. Here you see it. They, archaeologists today, have taken the lift up. And these two wooden piece, pieces are part of today, not from antiquity. Now you see the sarcophagi in the water, covered by water, under the pyramid, the pyramid plateau. Mm. And the water is groundwater. And it was already there because you are at a deeper level, level in the Nile. The it's Nile. beautifully clean. This groundwater was already there when somebody, somebody constructed it. Who made something like this <laughs> thousands of years ago <laughs> under the pyramid? The pyramid is a secret. It's fucking already. amazing. Why another secret under the, under the Great Pyramid? We have no answer. You see the sarcophagi? Looks like his arms are outstretched. Now, a friend of mine who works there as an Egyptologist, he called me one day, he said, Eric, we will try to put the water pumps on to push the water out, but only for a few minutes. As soon as the, the, the pumps stop, the water flows back. So I had the chance to be there in a situation when the water was not there. You see how precise this sarcophagi is cut. Again, here they told me White. there was nothing inside the sarcophagi. 
I don't know if this is true or not. But the question remains high. We are on the plateau of the pyramids in Egypt. There are these gigantic buildings over us. Why, for heaven's sake, is somebody making deep under this plateau other mysteries? And there are more shafts and tunnels, yeah. which we know. Some of these shafts and tunnels are so small, that I heard, not even a boy. According a to my research, I heard that uh, Osiris was there. I believe it was. It could go in there. So what maybe he goes he maybe what he's continues? still there um and he goes there uh you know when he needs to sleep with the cross you don't probably don't you don't have to sleep every night like we do probably well who knows there was uh okay if <clears throat> their strength According to like okay, Gilgamesh and Enki Enkidu. Um, Enki. So maybe that's yeah, Enki. That means idol. What if Enkidu was Enki? Or Enki was born. He was made by the gods fashioned as a companion. Gilgamesh according to the other podcasts that uh, I've been doing the past couple of days if you enjoy this podcast if you learned something uh, go ahead and uh, you can leave me a tip on my GoFundMe I'll put the link in the comments but it's go dot, gofund.me slash 1054 3A02 okay thanks 1,200 years ago, and a little later, there were Egyptian writers, Al-Makritsi, Ibrahim Abdul Al-Makritsi. He wrote, inside the pyramids and under the pyramids are gifts of the gods, the gods who visited our planet long, long time ago, as Herodot said, under the pyramid and inside the pyramid, gifts of the gods and books of Enoch. I told this yesterday, Enoch mm -hmm. Fobe. So there is something. And Egyptology does not talk about it. We live in a situation it's which I call the spirit of time. Ancient Guardians of, of the Sky is Part 2. What is today's knowledge? The spirit of time is always what is reasonable today. Reasonable. But every every time, throughout thousands of years, every scientist or every discoverer had to fight against the spirit of time. And you can do nothing against this stupid spirit of time. The spirit of time dictates to the public what is reasonable today. I said you can do nothing. Imagine the following. I am just inviting a story. Imagine the Pope from Rome. We have a discussion with two extraterrestrials. The next morning he goes to his uh, uh, priests and, and cardinals and says, Friends, yesterday night I had a discussion with two extraterrestrials. His cardinals would say, please, Holy Father, do not go to public with this, because you would be ridiculed. Nobody would believe you. Even if you are the Pope, <laughs> the personality whose word you believe, you cannot go against the spirit of time. The spirit of time will ridicule you. So we have to fight against the spirit of time. We have to change the spirit of time, slowly, 
That's what I'm doing. I started with Chariots of the Gods 55 years ago. And many of my wonderful colleagues are working on the same project. We know we have to change the spirit of time. We know extraterrestrials were here. We know we have proof for extraterrestrials. In the pyramid, under the pyramid, on different sides, we have skeletons and all kinds of things. But the scientific community doesn't look at it. They think this is all garbage, this is all nonsense. Not because they are stupid, no. Not because there's any, any controversy or conspiration theory. They simply say it can't be true. The spirit of time does not allow them. If a, a modern astronomer today would go to public and would say, yes, we have proof that extraterrestrials were here, he would simply be ridiculed. Ask the Pope in my example. We have to fight against the spirit of time slowly, slowly, and slowly. And we are in this process of changing the spirit of time. And you all, ladies and gentlemen, you are part of this too. You would not have read Chariots of the Gods and been influenced a little maybe by this book or the following book or the books of all my brilliant colleagues. We all try to change the spirit of time. And why? We all know we are the humanity. We are different people, different colors, different races, a word which you cannot use today. But we are the human intelligence. It doesn't matter if we are black or white or yellow or whatever color we have red. We are the human race. We are the intelligent being on this planet. Since thousands of years, we are fighting against each other, mostly because of religion. My religion is the only right one. No, my is the only right one. You have to believe what I believe, etc., etc. And we have to change this. Our people, the, the population of this planet, has to learn we are all unique. No way to fight. Soon as we have contact with extraterrestrials, imagine an extraterrestrial would be here. A TV interview. And now a, politic, a, a politician comes from the, probably say, from the political right or left wing. It says, only my opinion is right. There was no only my opinion is right. Or a priest can, from any religion, say, only our beliefs are right. The extraterrestrials, are they insane? What's wrong with these humans? Come. Everyone wants to be right. Forget it. We have to learn, soon as we have in contact with extraterrestrials, the human fights, the human wars, make no sense anymore. We are all together, and we are a little part of this planet, and we are part of, of, of intelligent beings which exist out there. The universe is full of intelligent beings. We are not the only ones. Of course, there could be intelligent beings out there who look completely different. I always joke, maybe there is something like flying elephants out there with tentacles. It's all possible, but also intelligent beings as we. Why? because we are the offsprings of it. Don't forget all the holy writings, and I'm not only talking about the Bible. You know the Bible. I know other holy, holy writings, thousands of years old, and in each one of them, they say, the gods created humans according their own image. I, our writers and thousands of years ago were not liars. The gods created us according their own image. We are the offsprings. We don't have to be afraid of them, of their wishes, and we have to learn we are all one family and only one intelligent form of life in the universe. The universe is full of it.
and sooner or later we will get in contact, but only when the spirit of time has changed. Today, it is impossible for our society to declare that extraterrestrials were here on the planet, I mean, declare for a scientific manner. Why not? Mankind, humanity is afraid. They are afraid, why extraterrestrials, will they enslave us? Will they kill us? Will they steal our raw material? We are afraid. Humanity is not prepared for it. That's why the spirit of time has to change. And that's what we all are working in it. The spirit of time is in full process of changing. And you, ladies and gentlemen, you are all part of it. My friend George Otsukalos always says, it's up to you because you are here, because you read our books. We can do our job because you buy our books, because you are visiting our conferences. That's why we can continue. Without it, we have no reaction in, in, in the in, in the Öffentlichkeit, whatever. Public, uh, public, that's good. Good, you speak English. You know, sometimes I lost my words, but it doesn't matter. Anyhow, ladies and gentlemen, we are part of the spirit of time. We change the spirit of time. You are part of it, and I'm proud that I had the chance to talk to you. Bye-bye, next time. Okay, ciao. Gentlemen, please give it up for Mr. Eric von Dannegan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. First of all, thank you everyone for coming. I've heard some stories of some crazy travel times and everything just to get here. Re rerouted trains and rerouted airplanes and everything else. And you still came. So give yourselves a round of applause. So tonight we're going to talk about evidence of the um, Atlantis and the Anunnaki and the civilizations in our solar system. Uh, and one thing I want to clear first. Anunnaki and Atlanteans are really, in my opinion, the same exact people. And that's Billy Carson's opinion. I'm not saying that's a stated fact anywhere. And so sometimes if something is my opinion, I'll let you know if something's uh, been recorded in ancient tablets or text or science uh, information that's been registered in real science journals, I'll tell you that as well. But my personal opinion is the Anunnaki are the Atlanteans. And so what I'm going to try to do tonight is establish for you some circumstantial evidence that will prove that this culture was not only here, but they were also a, not only interplanetary civilization, but they were also uh, an intergalactic civilization. Now, a lot of people always want to ask, well, where was Atlantis? You know, was it this ring city in the Atlantic Ocean? Was it in Greece? Was it in, in the Mediterranean? Where was it? And my answer is, Atlantis is everywhere. We are all standing and sitting on Atlantis at this ex exact moment. Atlantis was this entire planet. The ring city, in my opinion, was just one of many capitals on Earth, okay? 
and that's what we're going to go over tonight. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the Enuma Elish, the seven tablets of creation to start off. And what you need to understand is the Enuma Elish is an ancient cuneiform group of tablets that really talk about the creation of our solar system, the very, very beginnings of the whole thing, how we even got here. And this was copied over and over again onto actually stone tablets that go back, in my opinion, hundreds of thousands of years. Okay, hundreds of thousands, not 8,000, not 6,000, hundreds of thousands. These are recopies after recopies. Somebody sits there with a, with a stylus and re-wedges in all these cuneiform texts into new stones over and over again to make sure that the next generations to come have a copy of this story. Now, a lot of people have heard about the Sumerian tablets, and they've also heard about Zachariah Sitchin. I think Zachariah Sitchin was one of the greatest researchers probably ever, and the reason why is because he did something a lot of people didn't do. He went and put his effort into trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. What the thing that got misconstrued with him is people thought he was the only person that can decipher these tablets. That's false. But as a matter of fact, Zachariah Sitchin didn't decipher or, or interpret any tablets. What he did was he took existing translations that already existed and put together his own stories. Unfortunately, later on in his life, he was vilified and it was said that he was the only person that can read it, but nobody knew what these things actually said. But if you look at his books, he gives you his source almost at every paragraph. Okay, so the reason why I bring this up in the beginning is so that people who are sitting here with this precognition of Zachariah Sitchin, maybe this whole thing is just a made-up hoopla of some stone tablets, I'm here to tell you that this stuff was translated before he was even born. Okay, before he was born, E.A. Spicer, uh, King, all these people translated this long before he was even on earth. So this is these translations are ancient in my opinion because we're talking about seventeen and eighteen hundreds. These the, the tablets were already translated. So just wipe that misrepresentation out of your brain as I go through this. These are the actual tablets. These are the, the Enuma Elish and the seven tablets of creation. What you'll find is that the Bible is mostly uh, this this text right here. Dividing the waters from the Genesis is mostly here. Dividing separating the waters from the waters uh, you know, the creation of man in our image, all of that, really, and the creation of the earth, the solar system, it's all in these tablets right here. It's a real amazing story. Even the then preceding enslavement of mankind is also in these texts as well. And the reason for the enslavement is there as well. Now, if you're wondering how can you be sure that these texts are accurate, because Billy's up here talking, we don't even know if he knows what these texts say. Anybody can go to the CDLI online cuneiform digital library it's hosted by ucla and you can actually translate the stone tablets for yourself you can take a tablet off the virtual shelf and drop it into an online translator and read it for yourself and come up with your own conclusion what you'll find just like i did is that after many many uh decades really of reading and studying and researching these tablets all the different people that have researched them have a very similar story not the exact story but the fundamental basis, the foundation of the story is always the same. People from somewhere else came to this planet, began to, to work on this planet and create a breakaway civilization. And then at some point, they engaged the existing hominid on this planet, genetically tinkered with us, and turned us into a worker slave for them for a period of time. Now we're just like an abandoned seed colony here, and we're just hanging out, and we're trying to find our way. But... There's hope for us. There's hope yet. So the Enuma Elish is really 
uh, it's really what's originally Akkadian, okay? This Akkadian cuneiform text. And these tablets, um, they were at the, uh, the, the, uh, the library of Ashurbanipal is where they were discovered. The Atrahasis is also another account written at another time, also telling the similar story of beings coming from another place and coming here to earth and engaging mankind. Now, what's interesting about this and what really is important about this is to understand, in this time frame when these tablets were being copied and created, people didn't have time to become, you know, uh, George Lucas, right? They weren't inspired by George Lucas to create these incredible sci-fi movies on tablets. These people were, were scribing specifically what they were told to write by their god or their lord or their master, or they were writing what they were experiencing themselves at that time. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen how to write cuneiform. It's very, very <laughs> tedious. You, you don't really have time to sit there and, and take out a stone tablet and start wedging in all this text just to make up an incredible sci-fi story. In my opinion, what they wrote was probably as close to the truth as we're possibly going to get. Okay? And we know that Uranus, which is a planet that's in our solar system, was affected by a gravitational object that came through the solar system, which is why it's tilted on its side. I don't know if you knew that, but Uranus doesn't have an equatorial orbit this way. It's actually tilted and almost flipping end over end on its side. And the reason why this is important, because in the, in, in the Enuma Elish and the Atrasis, it talks about an actual planet or something large coming through our solar system, okay, in ancient times, talking about millions of years ago, and affecting the gravitational fields and also the orbits of all the planets and moons in our solar system. And so now we know this is true because science, this, they teach you this in astrophysics classes in college. Something huge was gravitationally captured by our solar system and came through, just like these stone tablets say. So when the stone tablets start backing up information that modern science is just now finding out, I have to think that they're probably as close to the truth as we're possibly going to get. We know that something giant came through here, and actually over several passes, which took thousands of years, it started yanking and yanking and yanking until Uranus flipped on its side. Now, a lot of people know this as the Milky Way galaxy, and you can see where the sun is actually showing you exactly where you are right here in, in one of these, in, in the suburbs of the Milky Way, right? A nice, quiet area, just far away from the uh, galactic equator for us to have a, a nice, uh, quiet uh, area of space where there's not a lot of catastrophe going on consistently. Stars are moving at a very decent speed around the galactic equator, whereas if you were closer in, your star would move much faster, which would age you much faster, right? But what's interesting is, how did we get here? Scientists know that we're not from here. Now, I'm going to read this science article to you, just a couple of sentences for it. It says, imagine the shock of growing up in a loving family with people who call you mom and dad, and then suddenly learning that you were actually adopted. This happens in real life. How can this be? Using volumes of data from the 2-micron all-sky survey in 2-mass infrared mode, a major project to survey the sky in infrared light led the University of Massachusetts, and the astronomers are now answering this 